Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Who's ready to hear some good news from the book of Romans? I know it's been at least three weeks of pretty bad news. But today I want you to turn to Romans chapter 3. And I want you to remember that as we go through this together, week by week, taking section at a time, uh, this was one whole letter typically read in one sitting to a church very much like ours. And so whereas we've spent three weeks really belaboring the bad news that leads us to the good news of the gospel, if you were sitting listening to it read in Paul's day and the church in Rome's day, you would have heard all the bad news immediately followed up by what we're going to see today. We have to belabor the bad news. We have to be honest about the wrath of God. We have to be honest about the anger and the justice of God. And as Pastor Matt preached last week, we have to be honest about the verdict of God. Again, that every mouth may be stopped before this judge of all the earth, before whom we are all held accountable for our sin. We have seen that no one is without sin. No one does good. No one is righteous. No, not one. And so if, as we saw in chapter 2, two weeks ago, if it's all about just be good and you'll get eternal life, or if, you'll ev- if you're evil, you'll receive wrath and condemnation, if it's just be good and get eternal life, it sounds easy enough until you read further, as Pastor Matt preached, about the verdict. There is no one who is good. There is no one who is righteous. So what are we then to do? If we cannot be good enough and we cannot obey enough to merit eternal life, And to receive this righteousness on our own, who then can be saved? How in the world are we supposed to be righteous if we are indeed not righteous? Well, we come to the end of Romans chapter 3, and today we're going to begin in verse 21. And what we're going to see here is really the bookend. The other bookend was back in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. It says the righteousness is revealed from God, it is the gospel of God, and it is from faith, for faith, the righteous shall live by faith. That's what Paul said back in Romans chapter 1 verse 17. And then we saw the need for that righteousness from God. Because in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 we saw that the wrath of God is being revealed. And that mankind is without excuse before God. We need that righteousness to be revealed from God because his wrath and his anger towards sin is also revealed. And we spent a few weeks really looking at that bad news and what it means to be under the condemnation and the wrath and the anger of a holy, righteous, and pure, sinless God. But almost like that was a parenthesis, Paul comes back this morning in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 31, to finish what he was saying earlier. 
When he said the righteous shall live by faith, the gospel is the power of God to save. Now we come to the bookend at the end and see how it is that we are saved. Matt ended last week in Romans chapter 3 verses 19 through 20. I'm just going to remind you what those said. Romans chapter 3 verse 19. Now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We've entered the courtroom, the charges have been read, the verdict has been issued, The sentence has been delivered, which is death, and now the arguments are over. Every mouth has been stopped by the law of God, which leaves every single one of us without excuse before the justice and the judgment of God. But in one of Paul's classic turns in verse 21, we see, but now, the light dramatically shines on what is an otherwise dark situation. And we see now God's solution to our hopelessness and our helplessness under the law. Look beginning in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God... Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? The law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. God, this is your inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. We submit ourselves this morning to its truth, to this verdict. Thankfully, God, we submit ourselves to this good news, which comes to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth here today. And by your Holy Spirit, bring unbelievers to salvation. And help us who know Jesus to rejoice afresh and anew in this great gospel that is ours in Christ. We ask all this in his name. Amen. I meant to mention earlier that uh, this part of Romans 3 is found on page 885 in those pew Bibles. So if you didn't bring a physical Bible today and you want to use the pew back Bible in front of you, 
That is page 885 will be there for, for all the sermon today. Number one today, we see righteousness revealed. Righteousness revealed. Earlier, Paul said in chapter 1, verse 17, God's righteousness is revealed in this gospel from faith, for faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And then we saw in chapter 1, verse 18, really through the end of chapter 3, uh, verse 20 here, our desperate need of that righteousness from God. If we hope to live in light of God's already and coming judgment, we need to be righteous. And Paul says here today, here is the revelation. In verse 21 it says, it has been manifested. That word is revealed or made plain. In other words, Paul comes back now and says, and this is how God's righteousness is revealed. This is how God's righteousness is manifested. He says, not in the works of the law. Now, we said back in verses 19 and 20, the law comes to do its good work, to condemn us in our sin, to shut our mouths before our God and judge so that we have no excuse. That's what the law does. It shows us our sin and it points us to our need. And so Paul says here that the righteousness that we need from God does not come from the law, although he says the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Isn't that what we saw back in the first part of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 2? The gospel of God, which was promised beforehand through the prophets? That's what Paul's been saying all along. The law and the prophets pointed to this. We cannot earn righteousness through the law, but the law is necessary because it shows us our need of what is now manifested in God's righteousness in the gospel. And this is how it's been manifested, verse 22. What has been revealed? What did the law and the prophets point us to? Verse 22, the righteousness of God, here it is, circle, underline, star, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness that we need from God, the righteousness that he requires of us to survive the judgment and the verdict and the sentence of God, that righteousness that we need has been revealed to us, not in the works of the law, but what does it say? Through faith in Jesus Christ. There it is. I must, you must receive the righteousness of God by faith. You must receive the righteousness of God by believing in someone and something. And Paul leaves no stone unturned here specifically and exclusively in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It does not say that we are justified by faith. It does not say that we're justified by belief. It says we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. No other religious figure is included here. No other religious or so-called otherwise philosophical teaching is included here. No other prophet is named here. No cult, no man-made religion, no man-made worldview is included here. Only faith in Jesus Christ. 
This is not reliance upon my works, reliance upon mine or your goodness or our obedience, which if we remember the verdict last week, none is righteous, no, not one, no one does good, no one seeks God, no one understands. Nothing was left for us to grab onto. If we listen last week as Pastor Matt preached from the earlier part of chapter 3, there are no works to hold on to. There is no goodness. There is no obedience on my part to hold on to. I think it also needs to be said that this is not faith in some generic God. This is not merely some higher power. This is not the big man upstairs. This is not just make God your boss. This is not the big guy upstairs. It says faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Personal, specific faith in Jesus Christ. But we do have to stop and ask, what do we mean by faith? We, we throw that term out there, and I, I, don't, I don't know that there's anybody in this room who would say that they don't have faith or they don't believe maybe in God, or they don't believe maybe in Jesus. I think we might all say, well, I have faith. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But the way we sometimes think of faith and belief is perhaps just what we might call mere mental assent to something. In other words, we just intellectually agree that something is true. So I believe today that two plus two equals four. That is a fact of math that I believe. I, I think that's true. I think we can prove that it's true. But it doesn't mean that that simple equation is my only hope in life and death. Hopefully when we get to heaven, there will be no more math for all eternity. So while I believe that fact, amen. So while I believe that fact to be true, it is not all of my hope and trust. But when we look at the biblical word for faith and what Paul means here by faith, it is not mere intellectual agreement with a fact. Now, we must start there. Okay, we, we have to start there. There are facts to the gospel. There are facts to the Christian faith. There are things you must believe and confess to be saved that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You must believe that and confess that. You must believe that you are a sinner and confess that you're a sinner and believe upon the facts of the gospel. But it must go beyond mere mental agreement to those facts. That biblical word for faith means to trust not just to agree and to nod your head in agreement with the fact that Christ died and Christ rose again. But as you nod in agreement intellectually, you're also bowing before him with your heart and your mind and your soul. It is not just an agreement in the mind. It is a giving of the heart in trust to Jesus Christ and what he has done. Classical theological phrase for what we're talking about here says that our salvation and our righteousness must come extra nos. That just simply means from outside, extra, 
of ourselves. Nos. That where we place our faith and our trust for salvation, where we are leaning on and where our confidence is for our salvation is not in ourselves, but it is outside of ourselves. And in this case, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now listen, this is the essence of the Christian gospel. And this is why the Christian gospel is so distinctive amongst other religions and so-called worldviews. Because every other religion and every other teaching and every other false teaching and cult and false prophet with their religious works says, no, righteousness is not extra nos, something outside of ourselves, but it's inside of ourselves and it's something we just simply have to attain or cultivate or work for. I guarantee every other religion... Every other worldview that says this is who God is, this is who man is, this is what salvation is, and this is how you get there. It's all about what you can do to attain that or to merit that or to purchase that or to earn that from within yourself. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Just be better, do better, try harder. That is not the gospel. The Christian gospel is That this righteousness that we need, this salvation that we need, is outside of us. The gospel comes along to our self-righteousness and our works righteousness and says, No, this is not the way it is. You cannot do this. But the Bible says that this revelation has been manifested. It has been shown to us. It's not within us. It's not something that we produce ourselves. It's not something that we can just do on our own. It has to be manifested or revealed to us. In this case, it's revealed from God. Righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's to be received, not by trusting in what I can do, but by trusting in what has been done for me. I just want to go through a little whirlwind tour of of the the indictments that we've seen thus far. Back in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Down to verse 20, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Watch this, so they are without excuse. Down to verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Chapter 2, verse 1, therefore you have no excuse, O man. Down in verse 3, do you suppose, O man, that you, or you who judge those who practice such things and that doom yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Look at verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. He will render to each one according to his works. For those who do well, eternal life. But then we come to verse 11. God shows no partiality. He will render to each one what is owed them. 
Verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Then we turn to chapter 3, and what does it say there in verse 9? What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Verse 11 and 12. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then down to verses 19 and 20. Now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Everybody, all, without distinction, stand before God with no excuse for their sin. Whether they had the law, as the Jews did, or whether they didn't have the law, as the Greeks or the Gentiles did, they are all held accountable to the holy law of God. And every single person stands before this judge without excuse. That's why Paul says here at the end of verse 22... That we are justified through faith in Christ, but there is no distinction. Verse 23 clarifies, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've known that verse since we were children, haven't we, many of us? All stand guilty. All stand condemned before God with no exceptions and with no excuse. Every person, regardless of age or race or gender or shape or size or age, is here having fallen short of the glory and the righteousness of God. I think it's so interesting that that Greek word for sin, which we just simply translate as sin, literally means missing the mark. As if you were looking at a bullseye and shooting an arrow and it just slightly misses that mark. And if that mark is God's holy and perfect righteousness, his sinlessness, his perfect requirements of us, sin is again and again and again missing that mark. Or as Paul says here in verse 23, falling short of the glory of God. And the universal verdict for that falling short is guilty unrighteous and the universal sentence is death unless this righteousness which is our crucial need unless it is given to us from the outside of us we are hopeless and helpless in light of the coming judgment of God but the good news that he's just introduced to us is that it has been revealed and it has been manifested apart from us namely in the person and work of Jesus Christ a gift he says which is to be received by faith but what exactly is it that we receive by faith number two today we see redemption revealed redemption revealed look at verse 24 all of sin and fall short of the glory of God verse 24 and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This faith brings us into this position of being justified. If you do not write in your Bibles, 
Just forget that for a minute and underline and, and highlight whatever that word, justified. Because this understanding of justification is what the Christian faith is all about. And if we lose this idea of justification, we've lost the gospel and we've lost Christianity. There is no Christianity, there is no gospel, there is no church, there is no Christian apart from this concept of justification. And you say, well, that's a really big word. Here's what it simply means. Being made right. That righteousness that God requires of us is given to us and we are made or declared righteous by being declared justified. And Paul says here in verse 24, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. By God's grace. You know what the word grace means? We throw it around a lot, and it's a very religious-sounding word, and we sing amazing grace. But the word literally means gift. Charis is the Greek word. It just means a gift. And so I think if you look at verse 24 again, you see Paul gets a little redundant, but I think it's on purpose. We are justified by his grace as a gift. Did you get that? Paul says it's a gift. That's a gift. He liked it the first time so much that he wanted to say it again. This is a free, unmerited, unearned, unpaid for, unworked for gift that is not to be earned or attained by self-righteousness, but is to simply be received by the open hands of faith. You did not earn it. You did not work for it. You did not buy it. You did not merit it. You, listen, you don't bring anything into this equation. You understand this? You don't bring anything into this equation except your fallenness and your brokenness and your sin. And all that we can do before the throne of God is open our hands and our hearts and receive by faith what he has done. And Paul says here in verse 24, what are we receiving? This redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Redemption, another religious sounding word that we use a lot. It simply means to, to buy back. To buy back from. To ransom. To pay a price that something might be bought. And so Paul says through Jesus, you have been bought back for God through the Lord Jesus. Jesus bought you back. He paid the price. He bought you. He ransomed you. An old gospel song says, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Jesus paid it all so that we might be bought and brought back to God. That is what redemption means. He forgave our sins. He acquits us and he buys us back through his own blood. And it didn't come easy. That's exactly what Paul says in verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This did not come easy. It came at a price. The debt that was paid cost the very blood of the Son of God. 
and what Paul calls here a propitiation. A propitiation just means a sin offering. A sin offering specifically that was used to appease the wrath of an angry deity or God. For something to be propitiatory, it means that it satisfies some demand. Now we've seen what the verdict is against humanity. Death because of sin. And so if we're going to be redeemed and bought back from sin and hell itself, then what price must be paid for that redemption except to bear the weight and the curse of sin and death and hell itself? And that's what Paul says Jesus has done for us. Jesus' death, listen to me, was not just a good example as many will say. Jesus' death was not just his greatest display of love, though it was. Jesus did not just die a martyr's death as someone who gave his life for what he believed in, though certainly that could be attributed to him. Jesus' death was all those things, but first and foremost, it was an offering. A sacrificial, atoning, substitutionary offering, listen, to satisfy the divine wrath of God. That's what propitiation means. And it recalls and it brings to mind the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat on which the blood would be sprinkled. And Leviticus says the sins would be atoned they would be propitiated the price would be paid so that the wrath would be satisfied and you might say this morning man that sounds heavy God angry God has wrath God is mad yes if you missed the last three weeks that's what we spent the last three weeks trying to, to help us understand God is angry at sin God is angry at sinners and that judgment and that wrath will be poured out listen his holiness and his righteousness demands it he cannot simply let sin slide it will be judged it will be paid for and that wrath that you deserved, that judgment that you deserved, the justice that you deserved, instead of you, instead of you, Jesus dies. I think it's remarkable to see how Paul words this here. Who, who puts Jesus forward? God puts Jesus forward. You, may, you mean the same God who's angry? The same God who has all this wrath and this judgment and this anger towards sin? Yeah, that same God is the same God who in love puts Jesus forward to be the payment bearer for our sins. He redeems us from the curse of his own wrath. He delivers us from the fate of his own judgment. 
He satisfies his own righteous requirements by crushing his own son. So that you and I might be called his own. And you say this morning, but you don't know what sins I have. You don't know what I bring into this. You don't know what's in my past. You don't know what's in my heart. Here's the good news. God does. God knows all of that. Look at what Paul says in verse 25. He put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. God knew those sins were there. He knew how wicked you were. But thank God it says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, even while you were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though he knew all of that and had passed over it in his patience, he still sent Jesus to die for you. Listen, it's not as if those sins don't matter. They do matter. God doesn't just simply let something slide. But the full justice and wrath and anger that those sins deserved have been poured out on Jesus. A preacher said fairly recently... That God broke the law for love. And he was trying to be dramatic or, or score some preacher points about the preaching of the gospel. That God somehow set the law aside to save you. And that's not true at all. I think Matt introduced you to the Greek term meganoita last week. I think the way I've always explained it is it just means mega no. That's a, that is a big no. God did not break the law so he could love you. He loved you with the law still intact because the justice and the wrath that the law demands was poured out on Jesus. God upheld the law to love you because the price that the law demands, Jesus paid. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 5 and 6. I think it's up there. We, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But look at what it says down in verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, the one who was crushed and bruised for us, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. There is the gospel. Jesus satisfies the righteous requirements of God's law. And look at what it says in verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Watch this. So that he might both be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see that? He took care of both. He didn't have to lay justice aside to justify you. He exacted justice on Jesus on your behalf so that you might then be justified. He didn't cease to be just to be the justifier. No, he fulfilled justice in the crushing of his son. And he reveals justification for all who are in him. What does it say again in verse 26? By faith. Lastly, today, you might be asking, well, how does this work? By, by what law? Verse 27, what becomes of our boasting? 
It is excluded. By what law? The law of works? No, the law of faith. So again, you say, so we bring nothing into this? There's nothing I can do to earn this or to buy it or to attain it. So, so what is there for us to rely on? What is there for, for us to boast in? And Paul says nothing. And that's the whole point of the gospel. You don't have anything to boast in. You don't have anything to rely on according to the law of works. But he says according to the law of faith, you have everything to boast in. It's just not boasting in you. It's boasting in Jesus Christ. Relying not on yourself and what you've done, but relying on Christ by faith and what he has done. And Paul reiterates then in verse 28 that this justification is found in him alone. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Verses 29 through 30 show us again, God shows no distinction here. Look at verse 29. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify, I'm sorry, I just burped. I didn't mean to do that. Since God is one who will justify the uncircumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. You see, God shows, sometimes you just try to hold it in, you know, and it just, it just came up, so... We're without excuse. Um, God says, no, Jew and Gentile are the same thing. They are all condemned in sin. Whether they had the law or not, all are made righteous through faith in Christ and Christ alone. Because at this point, you know, what has been brought into this argument is maybe from the Jewish side. Well, we have the law. We're the Jews. We're God's chosen people. We bring all that into this equation. Doesn't that count for something? And Paul says, well, it was an advantage and that you should have known the truth. But it brings nothing into your salvation, which must be received by faith in Christ alone. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, you are condemned in sin. But the good news is, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you may be justified by faith in Christ. And Paul ends by saying it's not as though the law has abandoned the gospel. The law has not abandoned the gospel, nor has the gospel abandoned the law. But both are upheld. The law is upheld. Look at what he says in verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The law pointed us here. The law points us here even today. It was about this all along. So back in the old covenant, under the law, as we thought about the the demands and atonement and the sacrifices and the blood and the altars, Paul says it was all pointing us here. The upholding of the law and its demands, the punishing, punishing of sin, accomplished in the sinless life and the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Hear me today. This is the substance of the gospel. And there is no gospel without this. The Christian message cannot be reduced to religious niceties and general spirituality. The Christian message is not merely doing nice things for people, though we should. The Christian message is not a legal list of do's and don'ts of how to get to God. 
The Christian message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the cosmological story of a holy, just God and rebellious sinners. It is the good news that God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. That God took on flesh, lived a sinless human life in our place, died in our place, and rose again so that we might have life in him. And he did this for those same rebellious sinners. The gospel is the unbelievable offer that all who come to this Savior in faith will be counted as if they were righteous. And you say, I'm not righteous. I'm a sinner. I need God to be my righteousness. Then you get the Christian faith and you understand the gospel. We cannot do this on our own. We need the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. It is unmerited. It is undeserved grace. It is a gift that is yours for the taking. The hymn says, the vilest offender who truly believes, you know the rest, that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. And in that transaction, what we call justification, in that transaction, listen, you are acquitted. And you are declared not guilty. Not because you aren't guilty, but because Jesus has borne your guilt on himself and now gives you his perfect, spotless righteousness by faith. Because, listen, if you are in Christ by faith, if you are in Christ by faith, what is true of him is true of you. This is the gospel. This is the righteousness of God revealed, given to condemned sinners like you and me who come to Jesus in simple faith. If we're to sum up what we've learned in Romans this far, thus far, this is it. All are condemned in sin without distinction, and all are welcomed into this good news without distinction. An early letter of the Christian church called the Epistle to Diognetus is a big fancy word for saying a letter to this man who happened to be named Diognetus, and it was attempting to defend the Christian faith against persecution. And we don't know who the author is, but it's in the second century AD, early church writing. This is how the author defined the gospel. Oh, sweet exchange. Oh, unsearchable operation. Oh, benefits surpassing all expectation that the wickedness of many should be hid in a single righteous one and that the righteousness of one should justify many transgressors. That is the good news of the gospel. If you're an unbeliever here today, you're not a Christian, you don't understand what that means, it simply means that you're a sinner and you deserve God's condemnation. And you say, well, what do I do about it? You've said have faith in Christ and, and believe in what he has done, but what does that even mean? I think very simply it means to say in your heart and your mind, maybe even with your mouth to God today, Lord, I recognize that I am a sinner. 
I see myself in the mirror of your holy law, and I see the wretch that I am. I realize there is no way I could ever work enough or be good enough to be made right with you. It means to say that the law has made me understand that I am in desperate need of you to give me the righteousness that you require of me because I can't do it myself. God, I see that you have provided for that need in the giving of your only son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died my death, rose again so that I might be freed from my penalty and walk in new life with you. It means to say to God today, I no longer trust myself and my works and my righteousness. I need it from you. And I receive it today with the open hands of faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be justified. Maybe you're here today and you've been in church all your life. You've been, quote, religious. You've been, quote, spiritual. And you might say even today, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe the Bible. I believe the gospel. Of course, that's why I'm here. You might have sang the songs and prayed the prayers. You might take the Lord's Supper. You may have been baptized. You may go to Sunday school. You may have gotten all the check marks when you were little for being there and bringing an offering and bringing your Bible and knowing the memory verse. But you have never trusted in that gospel for your salvation. You can know all the facts today. You can know all the list of facts that are in the gospel. You can have perfect doctrine lined up with the Bible, lined up with the Baptist faith and message, whatever you want to hold to and say, I believe all of that. But you've never trusted in Jesus for your salvation. Today, maybe you you know all that and you've just simply rejected it. I want to warn you that if you know that and you've rejected it, you stand under the condemnation and the wrath of God. And there's only one way of escape. And that is to have the righteousness of God credited to your account through faith in Christ. So the invitation for you today, unbeliever of whatever sort that is, is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, to receive him by faith and to know that forgiveness of sins and new life for yourself. Believers here today, this might be old news to you. You know the Romans road by heart. You can lead people to the Lord using some of these same verses. You've led people to the Lord using some of these same verses, but you've never stopped to understand what it means for you, believer, that you need the gospel every day. And you need to remember that you were justified by God's grace as a gift. And that you are being made holy and being made into the likeness of Jesus by God's grace as a gift by God's spirit. And maybe that will cause you today, believer, to turn away from some sin or some temptation. And turn back to God in faith. Restore that fellowship and restore that walk. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.